0: British Columbia, I've seen your mountains high, seen your pretty rainbows and your blue crystal skies, watched your winding rivers as they blow around the bend, to me you're not a stranger, you'll always be a friend. Coming to you from the West Coast, this is Politicoast. Today is October 18th, 2018, and this is episode 108. Politicoast is the BC Politics Podcast. If you haven't already make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you found us and really leave us a review i don't think we've gotten one in a few months and it always feels sad when i don't see new reviews on itunes you could also go on facebook and leave us a review there five stars or whatever recommendation it has or just find us on twitter where we're at politicoast pod and even better than all of that is giving us money at patreon.com politicos eventually we'll create merch or do something to get those numbers up we get more listeners but less money than Cambie Report. And that's all my worth is valued (laughs) at.
1: I'm Scott the
0: And I'm Ian Bushfield. As always, the intro music is by Sergei Plotnikov and is beautiful British Columbia. On today's show, we're talking about taxes, weed and debates. Politicoast is in partnership with BC Today, British Columbia's daily newsletter dedicated exclusively to BC politics. Sign up for a free trial to have unique coverage of the BC legislature delivered to your inbox every morning. Listeners to Politico, enter the offer code Citizen for access to a special rate. For a free two-week trial, the newsletter, go to BritishColumbiaToday.ca, and you can now go to ABToday.ca to find unique coverage of the Alberta Legislature, presented by and written, I guess, by Catherine Grukowski. I hope I got that kind of close. This is the new spin-off of the Queens Park, BC Today Empire from Allison Smith, and it looks pretty exciting, so I think we have some listeners in Alberta. Check it out.
1: And a final reminder that this coming Tuesday from 11.30 to 2pm we'll both be at the Terminal City Club, because we are moderating a debate put on by the Canadian Club about proportional representation between Suzanne Anton and Seth Klein. We'll have a link in the show notes to get tickets, and I hope you're listening to this as pretty much as soon as it comes out, because... The 19th, which is this Friday, is the last day to register. Uh, Tickets are $85, but they do include a lunch.
0: Yep. And one other little shout out. I was in Victoria over Thanksgiving weekend, and I met up with the boys from out of left field. And I beat them at pool a bunch because it turns out, even though I haven't played in a number of years, I spent a lot of time playing on my dad's snooker table growing up, so I'm not too bad at it. And then we shot the shit about politics for an hour and a half, and they put an episode out about that, and I haven't listened to it, so I hope it's good, but... It's fine. We talk about Victoria municipal politics and how much they're disappointed with everyone who's not left enough, like usual. (laughs) And speaking of municipal politics, it is the election on Saturday, probably tomorrow if you're listening to this as soon as it comes out. We've both voted already. And I recommend you do the same wherever you live in the province of yes, British Columbia. Yes, do go
1: out and vote, because it should be everyone's civic duty.
0: Yeah. Assuming you're a citizen and eligible, don't yes break don't, the law.
1: Yeah, we, we we do not endorse voter fraud.
0: Unless it's for the candidates I like. <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> but yeah, local elections don't get enough attention, which is why it's great we have Canby Report. And it's also super important because these are the decisions that generally affect people's lives the most.
0: It also means we both get a bit more sleep starting next week, so looking forward to that. First up, ending speculation on speculation taxes. Two big bills were dropped this week in the BC legislature that both you'd think would be the talk of the liberals for the entire week and how the BC NDP just wants to tax us all to death, but I think everyone got really chill after Wednesday, and we'll talk about (laughs) that later. The first bill is the speculation tax bill. This is the one that we have been waiting for since the budget when the government said they were going to tax people's second homes in some but not all places in the province. And depending whose second home it was, you would be taxed at a different rate. Well, it's going to, as was pretty much telegraphed, work apply to properties in Metro Vancouver, Capital Regional District, except the Gulf Islands and Juan de Fuca Strait. It'll be in Kelowna and West Kelowna, Abbotsford, Chilliwack, and Mission, and Nanaimo, Lanceville. The news i guess is there's a bunch of exemptions being put in here if your property's rented out more than six months a year it's exempt if it's literally uninhabitable due to toxic messes that seems like a fairer reason some of the more pertinent ones that i think people have been calling for are if you need a home to that's near a hospital or near a sick family member you can then have that as a secondary home or in stratas like Actually, the one we're sitting in right now, where there is a bylaw that prevents renting more than three units or something like that, you can use that as an exemption. But that one is only for 2018 and 2019, and the hope is this will push Stratas to get rid of those stupid rules.
1: Of course, the province could just come out and change the law to make it so that Stratas can't ban rentals, which would be a good policy that everyone in theory, should like, because, you know, if, hey, you're on the left, it's gets rid of some bullshit class-based exclusion stuff, and if you're on the right, well, yay property rights.
0: Except there's a weird, like, collective property rights that people seem to have. I don't totally understand it. I guess it's just the, I want to use my authority to prevent you from doing things. I guess that's just kind of human nature.
1: Yeah, anyone who's ever been to a city council meeting can See that in action,
0: or anyone who's ever like tried to argue for the importance of free speech, but then immediately call it, like sue someone for libel. It's that it's that same tendency, I guess. So a decent set of exemptions. The initial rollout still included this: British Columbians pay half a percent tax on it. People across Canada pay one percent, and people out of the country pay two percent. But the Green Party was up in arms because they were saying, number one, municipalities should still have the option to opt in or out of this. And we should be treating all Canadians the same, which is an argument that I guess they won. Because just today, the B.C. NDP announced that they were adopting three amendments from the Greens, even though the Greens could have gone to the B.C. Liberals and really just forced whatever they wanted. Turned out they're happy to work with the NDP so all Canadians will now pay half a percent, and this will cost the government $30 million, which is not much of the $200 million I think they budgeted this tax pulling in.
1: Yeah, also, like I, I, I get how we talk about costing the government when we reduce taxes, but if it's a tax that isn't in place, eh, cost might not be the way, right way to phrase it.
0: The other two amendments are that all of the money raised by this tax, will have to be spent on affordable housing in the community in which it's raised, which is one of those amendments that I think sounds really good on paper, but in reality like may turn to be
1: administratively complex. Yeah, anyway, I guess if you're a Vancouver, you can expect to get a bigger check from the uh, provincial government. Yeah, BC Housing will get more to spend in that location, probably. Yeah.
0: I was trying to think that like. Property values are more in Vancouver, so they'd have to spend more to build affordable housing here. But at the same time, they'll be raking in more. So I guess it works out, maybe? Yeah. All right. It's a fine amendment, if it makes Andrew Weaver happy. The third one is, rather than give municipalities the opt-out, there's going to be an annual meeting of the mayors of these affected communities with the finance minister to review the tax. And I think that's his hope that... At one of those future meetings, the finance minister will listen to his arguments. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's no such thing as a pro forma meeting in this province, or anywhere. So up until these announcements today, the speculation was whether Andrew Wilkinson would produce his own amendments, or whether Wilkinson and Weaver would get together. And Wilkinson was, I guess this is now characteristic for him, saying, I've opened the door to a meeting, but no one's coming to talk to me. (laughs) And Weaver just i guess was talking to the NDP but not the Liberals? I guess so. So are we ever going to see the Greens turn against the NDP?
1: Um well, not until November 30th when the referendum results come in. Because until then they have a very strong incentive to stick with the government and you know even then still need time to implement. So like they're probably going to stick it out for the rest of the term.
0: And I guess that brings us to The other tax introduced this week, which was the Employer Health Tax Bill, the other Budget Implementation Act, because they had very great names, this is the tax that will replace the medical service premiums, which loyal listeners will recall we talked to Lindsay Tedds about because she was on the panel that was tasked with finding a equitable and efficient way to replace the MSP, and they were getting towards coming up with a set of solutions that would balance the effect across all industries. And then the government came and said, we're just going to slap a payroll tax on everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's politics, right? Yes, but yeah, it was a little BS.
0: Well, the specifics are out. And for your normal corporations, any companies whose payroll is under $500,000 don't need to worry about this. Those whose payroll is up to $1.5 million will pay 2.925% of their total remuneration, less that first five hundred k. And everyone whose payroll is over one and a half million pays 1.95%, which I guess will cover it. And the government says won't make too big of an impact, but a lot of economists don't seem to like payroll taxes. Yeah,
1: they're not great as a way to fund things because they are a direct disincentive to hire people. You know, ideally we want jobs. And, you know, when you tax something, it tends to get you less of that thing. So... Maybe we should be taxing things that aren't jobs.
0: One of the criticisms of it was that it was going to hit charities particularly hard because charities tend to operate on small budgets. There's now a specific way that nonprofits and charities are treated. Their exemptions start at $1.5 and then the middle bracket is between $1.5 and $4.5 And if there's a charity that has a payroll over $4.5 they pay that top tier. But where it gets confusing is, for some reason, the government is deciding to bill charities by qualifying location. And what this basically means is if you have an office, everyone in that office counts as one payroll. If you have two offices, you essentially have two separate payrolls, and you can use those to determine whether you're at the 1.5 million cutoff. So it feels like any mid-sized charity that has in that range of two million dollar payroll should just open a second office
1: well i don't know have you seen the uh price for commercial real estate leases these days like it's it's not nothing to open a new place but yeah it does seem a little odd and i'm sure someone will figure out like the exact optimal trade-off between opening a second location all the you know rents and administrative redundancies versus the savings on the payroll tax
0: I guess it could be advantageous if you were looking at opening a second office, say, in another part of the province, like, oh, we needed our Kelowna office anyway, and now it just became smarter to do that. The example they give is a daycare that maybe runs 4 nonprofit centers, one of which has a payroll of 1.6 million, but the rest are all under, and they say, well, you're only going to pay the tax on that one rather than all four locations, or rather than add all of your employees up like a corporation would have to do. I guess this is a good way to exempt charities because I can see a lot getting out on this. Yeah. And having and working for a charity. I mean, my charity's payroll is me, but (laughs) it is a nice idea.
1: One point. That's a fairly hefty payroll. Yeah. So yeah, charity.
0: I'm sure charities are pretty happy. The goal with this is to eliminate the medical service premiums by January 1st, 2020 And of course, over the next year, we'll be double taxing corporations. And I guess people who are also, some of whom are paying the MSP.
1: Moving on to segment two, weed is legal, but you still can't buy cannabis lube in BC. Well, the day finally came. The cannabis is now legal in Canada. This is the fulfillment of one of Trudeau's main campaign promises. And yeah, I mean, it's legal. Good, I guess. it's. it's We had to wait like
0: four extra hours in BC, because I didn't realize until the evening that I was like, wait, it's probably already legal in Newfoundland.
1: Yeah, although, like...
0: And rolled out.
1: Yeah, I'm not actually sure how that works, because, like, if something's technically not a criminal offense in one part of the country, but because of time zones, it isn't, I don't know, there's probably some weird thing there that a lawyer's gonna have to display. I could see an argument that it technically got legalized at 8 p.m. here.
0: Although the bigger thing was you could only smoke weed you would bought from whatever your province had set up. And so each province's stores only came on at midnight as it rolled across the country.
1: Actually, you know, you can smoke weed from everywhere. Just possession is no longer illegal. You just can't legally acquire it, right?
0: I think there's an issue where you can't possess dark weed, essentially. Okay. So if you have weed that...
1: This is like an enforcement challenge,
0: so at least. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association actually has a good 10 point list of things that are still illegal and possessing any illicit cannabis or Uh, growing a plant from illicit cannabis seeds is still a crime. So this is why there was a big fire sale on all of the dispensaries in Vancouver before Wednesday because they needed to purge all of their illicit stock. Okay,
1: makes sense. We can clearly tell that I am not planning on taking this off, so haven't read the details (laughs) too closely.
0: It's just been fascinating to watch what is a fairly substantial policy shift, and it really feels like it's been done in the most complicated bureaucratic way. Like where they, it's
1: pretty much par for the course of Canada.
0: (laughs) Yeah, where we could have decriminalized it and then slowly built up the government industry, if that's what we're going to do. They're like, no, let's just have a big day where we launch. 10 new government stores across the country. And it surprisingly worked out fine. BC's website didn't crash. I thought it would. I think Alberta's did. I saw Twitter pictures from journalists the next morning who were waiting for it to come up. And then I saw one who tweeted like a landing page where they were in line. And I don't know how you get in line for an online store.
1: Probably something they set up to handle... Like high volume load. traffic.
0: And then as soon as they reached the front of the line, they got to a 500 error. <laughs> so.
1: Well, maybe not.
0: <laughs> but BCs did fine. The BC government reported that they sold or they completed a thousand transactions in the first hour of the website being online. Congrats to those stoners. They'd done 4,000 by noon. And by the end of the first day, there were 9,980 sales in this province. 805 were at the store in Kamloops, which apparently David Eby and Mike Farnworth are taking a road trip for.
1: Huh, okay. Also, uh, apparently the first customer at that store was someone who is not a Canadian citizen, but drove up from California, (laughs) which somehow feels appropriate.
0: Aren't they in the process of legalizing it in California?
1: I think it's on the ballot this Okay. Oh, I have no idea, I, but I, the point is, he drove bizarre... through at least
0: two states where it's legal.
1: Yes, but like quasi legal, like legal at the state okay. level. Like the DEA can still bust him. Yeah, for that,
0: it's going to be annoying for him if he drives back across the border and they ask him about what he was doing in Canada.
1: Especially because his picture's all over the Canadian media.
0: Well, sales were modest here in British Columbia. When you look at Quebec, where reportedly there were forty-two thousand orders processed in the first day. 30,000 of which were online.
1: Well, that's probably because everyone stocked up on those fire sales at the dispensaries.
0: Yeah, it really didn't feel like a big thing in British Columbia because everyone already had it. Yeah. Versus Quebec. Quebec has always been very, at least the government, and even I think some of the polling has shown Quebec's very like hesitant about cannabis, but I imagine maybe the millennials there are more open-minded. I guess though. It was good for La Belle Provence. But here in BC, I guess we're still waiting for more stores to open. I did scroll through the website. And what I learned very quickly is I, while I have smoked weed, I do not know very much about it, because I did not know there are multiple varietals or like kinds and all the kinds of different things. And scrolling through like 80 different products, it's kind of like, never having really been in a clothing store in your life <laughs> and going, oh, you mean there are more than just rags you throw over yourself or something? I don't know. But then you also see that the government is selling pipes and bongs and rolling papers and like Sherlock Holmes pipes and Cheech and Chong bongs. But the thing we're not selling that everyone started noticing that Ontario is selling is this THC-infused, quote, intimate spray. This is basically a lubricant that you spray on genitals to—I don't know—get high while doing it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> it is apparently a thing, but then again, it's the the cannabis thing. Like they will literally put THC in anything. It seems like so. Who yeah. knows if this actually does anything?
0: My favorite part of this whole story is that the maker of the product is Hexocorp, whose vice president is former BC Health Minister and. BC Liberal Terry Lake, which is just a weird connection. It's just
1: see, see, a lot of former politicians have gotten on various boards, especially and like
0: conservative ones or like center right ones. If they the just market. yeah, they see the money. Credit to friend of the show Shannon Waters for the investigative reporting on this and holding Mike Farnworth to account and asking him why this was not available in BC. His quote is certainly this is a business. And if there's demand, hey, this is just opening day, you can always send an email and we have a link. It's basically just the contact page on the bccannabisstores.ca website.
1: So if you feel that you're missing out by not being able to legally apply cannabis to your genitals, email the government.
0: Yep, this is the world we live in.
1: That's a sense I never thought I'd be saying.
0: There have also, I guess, been complaints about the pricing of cannabis. It looks like you can get a joint for like, I think it actually starts at $4.20 for one.
1: Because of course it does.
0: Of course. I guess you can bulk buy and they go down or you can just get loose leaves. But it all comes with a $10 delivery charge as well, which makes me think you need to stock up. Because I'm not going to order one joint for $15. But I also don't want 20 Because, yeah. So we'll see how this all goes. But the government has mostly dismissed those concerns as Twitter. The bigger concern, I think, is that many people who smoked even or possessed even a year ago and were picked up by the police still have criminal records. And the federal liberals announced on, I guess it was Cannabis Day yesterday.
1: I think the news broke ahead of time.
0: Just ahead? Yeah,
1: it was definitely in the media the day before, but I think it got officially announced on the 17th.
0: So there'll be a bill in Parliament to... Bring forward pardons for anyone who's been picked up on simple possession of cannabis. And not only will there be pardons, but they're going to waive the fees, expedite the process. They're not expunging records, so that could still affect some rights, especially traveling internationally. But it's a good start, and it's very rare for them to expunge records. I think the most recent one is they did a big bill to do it for anyone who'd been essentially picked up for homosexuality on, like, old crimes. but. I can see the argument for it that if we've decided it's legal now, should you still have to face any consequence for it? I can also it's, see that you yeah, did it when like, it wasn't.
1: Yeah, well, it the law. But yeah, it does seem one of those things that it was kind of a stupid, unjust law. So, like,
0: and this isn't a minor thing because apparently I've seen a couple estimates that like 500,000 people in Canada have criminal records for simple possession. So let's hope that bill sails through. Although the conservatives, I think, are already raising a little bit of a stink over it, which seems unnecessary.
1: Yeah, well, the, the liberals are not good about actually doing the work of parliament and passing legislation, so... That's true, it'll be I like mean, two they, years. Yeah, they they do not move quickly and effectively with their parliamentary majority at all, but hopefully this well, one...
0: they shot themselves in the foot a little bit when they made all their senators independents and let them think. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does mean... They're going to get uppity and (laughs) consider... Want
1: to put their own mark on every bit of legislation.
0: Yeah. So yeah, cannabis is legal. It was overall a fairly boring Wednesday. I guess there were both protests and there was an ironic anti-cannabis protest at the Vancouver Art Gallery on the steps, which are known for smoking weed on.
1: Yeah, I, I would make the joke about there being dozens of them, but they didn't even manage to get that many out there was eight people protesting.
0: Were they all from Coalition Vancouver?
1: I don't think so, but it <laughs> could be. <laughs> it wouldn't be so surprising. I imagine the Venn diagram has a lot of overlap.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait for more stores to open. Honestly, it was a, m- much less of a shit show than I expected. Yeah, I wasn't expecting like anarchy or chaos, but just like it was kind of a boring day.
1: Yeah, it was fairly uneventful. Although... My downstairs neighbor seems to have taken upon himself to support some really pungent stuff now. Oh. But other than that, it's been going great.
0: And moving into quick takes. So I had a DM earlier this week, and I'm not going to name the person for confidentiality. And I appreciate anyone who wants to DM me anytime my Twitter mentions are open. And they say, can you please talk about how many thirsty tweets Wilkinson is sending Horgan about the PR debate? So thirsty. And so I had to go look because I hadn't been following his feed that closely. But if you go back as far as October 14th, you start seeing tweets that are like, and this is the weirdest one, time for gas tax relief. And it's time to set a date for our hashtag prop rep debate. You can't say no to everything, John. And then there's a video of Andrew Wilkinson standing beside a pump talking about both how expensive gas is and how much he needs a debate right now.
1: This really should be two videos. Like <laughs>
0: it was a terrible message. Like
1: pick a message, stick to it, keep hammering it, but like don't don't try and midzim it. It looks awkward, it's weird, and like in the-, the BC Liberals have people who are good at media and I don't get what they're doing here.
0: Maybe they're on holiday. On October fifteenth, Wilkinson tweets out, Are you ready to pick a date, John? and then tweets out a letter that he had sent a few days ago and he's just desperate to hear. On October sixteenth, there were three separate tweets, one with a picture saying, let's pick a date. Another two were concerned that the postal strike possibility might affect the referendum, but he needs this debate as well. On the 17th, he's still waiting to hear from this debate. And then even in the House earlier this week, he's saying, will the premier pick a date? And at that point, John Horgan has to answer because it's his Constitutional duty, and he says, "I stood in this place yesterday and debated the very question. It was on television. Get it? Because the legislative debates are televised."
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure the two people watching will are you know absolutely thrilled by that.
0: <laughs> We've talked about this debate idea before, and I think we're both in favor of it broadly, but it almost like gets to a point where it's desperate.
1: Yeah, it's it's and dar- sad. He's starting to feel desperate,
0: and. Uh, I guess the NDP is probably really just waiting for municipal elections to be over, and then we'll see. I know I did see one thing where the media said, yeah, they're still trying to sort out timing, and so it may even be a moot point whether Oregon says yes yet or not. But yeah, don't tweet out multiple times a day for multiple days in a row. Please pick a date with me, John. It really just sounds like his whole effort is to get on tv because no one could name the leader of the bc liberal party
1: yeah it's it's really taking on a um almost like the vibe of that and well not just one the many annoying people on twitter who try and get in a debate about everything which is not a great look i mean it hasn't stopped like a dozen local politicians from trying it but like in general it's not a great look uh, especially for the serious leader of a serious political party yeah Some people you won't hear debating what the NDP think are the members of the NDP because there was a draft internal code of conduct that got circulated around and then leaked that basically puts a gag order on senior members of the BC NDP. This would require party executives and committee members to, quote, promote the positions of the party in public and ref- refrain from public criticisms of the party, its positions, or its elected officials.
0: So, on the one hand, this is expected of every political party everywhere? Yeah, like... Unsaid?
1: It, yeah, it's kind of one of those things that are unsaid, because if your party president or whatever suddenly is going off on a di- on a tangent about, you know, whatever, it tends to make news and... Parties don't like that type of news.
0: If you look at any society's bylaws, members of the society could be kicked out for acting against the society, particularly table officers, the elected representatives of it. Political parties are the same. That said, you don't say it in explicit terms, thou shall not criticize the leader.
1: Yeah, it's the sort of thing that, you know... Everyone just kind of knows, and if you don't, you know, you get sought, sat down by a couple of people who've been around for a while and are told in very explicit terms what it is, but it doesn't actually get put in paper and circulate around usually.
0: The other thing that happens here is this is very easily picked up as some uh, overreaching suppression. And I mean, we're in a climate where everyone likes to claim wars on free speech are left, right and center, and this plays into that. That said, it applies to 10 to 25 people, I want to say. I don't exactly know how big the NDP's executive is. I guess the committees might be a bit bigger once you count all of them. But it's under 100 people in total. It's not like every card-carrying New Democrat could no longer criticize the party under this rule. But yeah, it's still a a dumb thing to put into rules. And honestly, it was also a draft. (laughs) Although drafts are often expected to be passed, but just, yeah. I mean, the communications director was sent to try to defend this to Rob Shaw, who put out the story, and he's like, you know, the NDP will always be the NDP, and there'll always be debates, and that's not going to change. You could also say it's still a draft, and we haven't decided anything. Own goals are so common in politics. Don't do them.
1: Yes, really don't do them, but they, they are shockingly common.
0: Well, in another piece of what you can or can't say in British Columbia, the College of Chiropractors of BC has decided that chiropractors should stop telling people that chiropractic can treat Alzheimer's, cancer, diabetes, infertility, infections, autism, ADHD, or Down syndrome. But in this case, that's because there's no science to do it, so you shouldn't be doing it, period. This is a really good thing, in my opinion. (laughs) And Probably long overdue.
1: Hey, you not going to get any argument from me on this one.
0: So credit to Bethany Lindsay over at CBC. She's got a great piece talking about what this is, and we'll put the link in the show notes. CBC has been doing a ton of investigative reporting on chiropractors in BC who are claiming to treat things like this, and naturopaths as well who have been facing very little regulatory scrutiny from the bodies that are in theory, supposed to regulate them. And it looks like that has finally put enough pressure on the college to sort of wag its finger, at least. Yeah, at
1: least put out a policy statement on the effect, because apparently it had to be said that you cannot tell people you can cure cancer by manipulating their spinal column.
0: I want to give also a big shout out to Professor Bernie Garrett over at UBC's Faculty of Nursing. And I've met Bernie and had him speak for the BC Humanists about his criticisms of the College of Naturopathy in BC and I think he's a good skeptic he told CBC News the problem here is that if the college truly cracks down on unsupported claims about the benefits of subluxation, which is the theory of aligning the vertebrae and the spine, what they will be left with is a profession that practices a form of spinal physiotherapy I think he needed the word just Like all it will be is rubbing your back, whilst this new policy does address criticisms of some of the more extremist claims. Dangerous practices such as infant chiropractic are still allowed to continue. Now, let's just pause on that for a second, because people like to think that a lot of alternative medicines are 100% safe or whatever. But when you are cracking the back of an infant, there's a high chance you will paralyze that child. And so, fuck all that shit, is all I have to say.
1: Yeah, I think you pretty much said it, so. Yeah. Well, that story, there's a new Bloomberg Nanos poll out about which Canadian political leader is best suited to deal with Donald Trump. And Justin Trudeau is way out ahead at a 38% with Andrew Scheer in a distant 21. And what is perhaps the most interesting is after Andrew Scheer comes, and Bernier at 5.3, followed by Elizabeth May at 2.7. And Meet Singh at 1.3. And, and that re- is not a great spot for Jade Mead Singh being fifth in a listing that includes Matsine Bernier and Elizabeth May.
0: Do we actually think any of these people are well... Like, who is well-suited to deal with Donald Trump? F- full partisanship aside, like, I don't know what the foil <laughs> to him is. Himself, really.
1: Kim Jong-un, apparently. Yeah. Like, that, that, that...
0: Although then they just get buddy-buddy and it's weird. Yes. So... So, this 2018's is, weird. This is the problem with, like, American politics right now, is no one has the solution to Donald Trump, because facts don't matter. His bigotry is his strength.
1: Flattery and bribery. Like, flattery yeah. and greed. Like, that. that's basically how you get Donald Trump to do shit.
0: So, it's a weird question to ask, at the very least.
1: Well, no, I, I get why they asked it, because our country's economies no, usually yeah. depend on trade with America, and... America deciding to go batshit insane for four to eight years, at a minimum. You know, we'll see who gets to replace him. But, like, it's it's the sort of thing that's concerning to a country who shares a land border and a large trade relationship.
0: On the Jagmeet Singh numbers, I was at first a bit defensive thinking, you know, he's got not much national profile, and he's still trying to build that before until he gets, once he gets a seat and all that. But I'm also now just thinking, maybe even NDP supporters are like, Let's not put the guy in a turban next to Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, that could be a fun joke. But now
0: that I'm saying it aloud, I might think that's actually brilliant. I mean, it just kind of calls the spade out right away. And Jugmeat has dealt with racist hecklers pretty admirably and actually came out stronger for it. So yeah, fuck it. Put Jagmeet sing up. <laughs> Andrew Scheer has already said his uh, approach would be to capitulate. Trudeau did okay, to yeah. his credit. Yeah, and these polls do generally... I would not put Elizabeth May in that room. Oh, definitely not. Maxine Bernier could be interesting.
1: Yeah, in fact, out of all of these, Elizabeth May is probably the last person you want in the room of everyone there. But what is interesting about this is, you know, what this says about how Canadians view the party leaders pretty much one year out from an election. And, you know, that's concerning that Jade Meet Singh can't even hit 2% of people who thinks he would be the best to handle the situation. And, you know, granted, these do tend to skew towards the person actually in government at the moment, but it's really not a great position to be in.
0: Just to put it out there, the CBC poll tracker was updated yesterday with the latest numbers, and the liberals are down a little bit to 37.3%. The conservatives are up almost a point over last month to 33%, 33 33.1%. The NDP is sitting at 15.5%. The Greens are at 7%, which is high for them between an election. And the Bloc is at a almost irrelevant 3.9%. Now, because they're concentrating Quebec, they'll still win a few seats, but they're teetering on that edge. This is still a downward trend for the NDP, maybe a bounce back for the Conservatives, maybe just noise. And everyone else is kind of just in a holding pattern. The projection model from Eric Grenier gives the Liberals an almost guaranteed majority, with the Conservatives a narrow chance at sneaking in as the most seats. Here in British Columbia, everything is also still pretty stagnant. The Liberals are in first place, Conservatives trailing close with the NDP further back, and the Greens maybe a little bit strong. So there's a little bit more good news there for Jugmeet Singh, in that more than one to two percent of people approve of his party but everything else is basically just trending along looking like we're with trudeau for another election
1: yeah at this moment the smart money is on a trudeau victory and now maybe andrew Shear will have you know some crazy trick up his sleeve that or you know jade Beatson will pull enough liberal voters over to him that something interesting happens but very, very likely we will have another 2 government
0: On the seat projections, I will say that Eric Grenier has included the People's Party, and they are projected between zero and one seat. The Greens are actually sitting at two seats as their projection with a range of one to five. The NDP is looking at a lot of seat loss, possibly (laughs) dropping down to 19. The Liberals, though, have good news as they're predicted to take 182 seats, but their max could be as high as 234, which would be absurd. (laughs) That's a, I, that's, it's that's a big an outside rank.
1: projection, yeah. I think. But that would be—I mean, granted, it's not the most lopsided victory we've seen. But like, it's—it was. I think there was a uh, legend in New Brunswick where they like it swept it, and you know, we had the 2001 legend year that had two opposition members.
0: There's been a couple of those in Canada. So we'll keep following the polls for another year, and maybe they'll get more interesting. But finally, I want to give a shout out to. Michelle Mungal, for this week, she brought her infant son, Xavier, into the house, and this was the first baby allowed in the house since the standing orders were officially amended, so babies are not considered strangers anymore. What is even more adorable about this is Mungal dressed in a matching suit outfit as her baby, And pointed out to reporters that the child was in, quote, fully in dress code, including a tiny bow tie. So I will include that link in the show notes. Because, Frank, it's not just adorable, right? It also represents a good way to ensure that young parents are able to still attend legislative debates because they can bring their babies. And it's really nice to see that all of the legislators, or all our MLAs on all parties, are strongly in favor of this. And there's no weird... I don't know, sexist backlash. So go BC. Oh, and happy Persons Day. Today is the anniversary of women getting to be considered persons. That's not technically it. It's a reference case that allowed women to be considered persons for the point of being appointed to the Senate. But still important. Yeah, very important. I mean, we should abolish the Senate. But if we're going to have one, there should be women in there.
1: And that has been Politoist. Find links to the stories we mentioned in the show notes at USA. Make sure to subscribe to our listen podcast and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Pod. Give us a review and let us know what you think. Support the show and get early access to our interviews at patreon.com slash And If you have ideas for the show, feel free to send to us. And don't forget to come out to the Terminal City Club this Tuesday and get your tickets pretty much immediately because they're going to be no longer on sale as of Friday yeah well great debate and we will be uploading the audio afterwards if you can't make it out or you know live in northern bc and don't want to drive down just to hear us or want to hear it again yes thanks Thanks for listening. listening